Uh, this morning, I just want to introduce uh, our, uh, we have a special uh, preacher with us this morning. Uh, CJ Bergman is a really good friend of mine. Y'all can clap for him and say like, whoa, you're so great. We clap, wait till the end to see if they want to clap. Yeah. Yeah. And at the very end, if you could all clap really okay. loud right. and say that was the best performance I've ever seen. Thank you. That would be. Actually, that would be nice. Really wonderful for his own heart. It would. Uh, <laughs> CJ is a, a good friend of mine and our churches, actually, whether this is, I think, your, only your second time to be with us on a Sunday like this. But uh, CJ and Renee came to Soma School in Portland like five years ago uh, as they were about to start the, the church in San Francisco that they have started and lead. Uh, it's called Citizens. Uh, it's a Soma church uh, there in the heart of San Francisco where all the people live, so not like the wharf where all the seals live but the real part where the people actually live, yeah. uh, which is important, and not where Steph Curry lives. Anyway, focus is on uh, uh, CJ, not basketball. Uh, CJ has been here this weekend. as Him and Renee uh, helped lead our MC leaders yesterday in learning how to care for and love our friends in need. Uh, it was really great. I listened to the audio, or a lot of it, not all three hours, but a lot of it. Uh, I was with kids. But anyway, it was really wonderful. And this morning is going to continue teaching us from the book of Proverbs. Uh, as uh, yeah, It's just really fun to me to have uh, the Soma family be more than just our church here. Uh, we kind of talked about that in January, that we see ourselves participating in God's big work all over the world, not as like the center of that story, but as like peripheral like characters in that story. And so it's always really wonderful for us to have people from SOMA, uh, this large, larger organization, come and love on uh, the people within our church uh, as if they were their own people. Uh, and I think that, to me, is one of the beautiful things that we get to participate in. And uh, I just want to read the text for us today, and then CJ can totally teach it away. Uh, it's Proverbs 4, uh, 20 to 22. Or 23. Right. Uh, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Thanks, Brad. Morning. Uh, Brad and I did not plan to match. It just worked out because we're that uh, we're kindred spirits. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's, it's been really great just to even worship with you already this morning and just sense the Spirit of God working, uh, especially as you all are sharing stories of ways that God is at work. Uh, our church, Citizens, is worshiping at the exact same time right now. Uh, we start at 10 and we meet at a school. Um, and every first Sunday of the month, we uh, have a, a feast at the end of our gathering. And so uh, it really feels like we're at home this morning, like we're with our people, uh, which is really cool. Thinking about that as we were worshiping and as there was an Instapot like right next to me, uh, I was like, that might go off during my sermon. That'd be great. Um, we feel, yeah, we just feel really endeared and, and loved by this church family, especially with our history with Brad and Medella up in Portland, but also uh, recently Jess and Tripp just really stepping in to do a lot of coaching for us and, and care. And I don't know if you know, but Jess actually was staying with us for a good portion of her time when she was stationed in San Francisco during, during her time with the airline. Um, and man, just even having Jess in our home and doing life together, uh, it was amazing to see how fresh the 
narrative of your lives were on her heart and her mouth, like as she would just she would just be sharing herself with us. Often she'd be sharing you with us and saying like, "We love these people. We bleed for these people. They love us. We love them." And so. Really encouraging to see uh, what this family looks like and just even uh, giving us hope as you guys are a couple years ahead of us of what we long to be and desire to be in our own city. And so um, appreciate you greatly um, and feel really, really gratitude, a lot of gratitude to be here with you. Um, well, I had to go to the dentist the other day um, because I had my first cavity. That's how awesome I am. Uh, 37 years and uh, one cavity, and it's not because I'm really good at taking care of my teeth. In fact, uh, even though this was my first cavity, the, the real reason that I was at the dentist is because um, I started to get this pain in one of my molars, and it was getting worse and worse and worse, and I decided to look inside my mouth, and I had these like big craters in my teeth, uh, come to find out that it's because I would drink kombucha at night and not brush my teeth and then grind my teeth all night. And I created these big like divots in my teeth, not good. Um, and I thought, I just thought it'd be really good for me to kind of share my own personal dental hygiene with you guys this morning. <laughs> I thought that would be like a great way for us to connect and be family. Um, so I'm pretty bad generally at keeping watch over my like body and my health. Uh, my pattern is to let things go, uh, and then if they break, you know, then I'll deal with them, you know. Um, and I, I'd rather be a little more passive uh, than active in my in my care for my body. Um, I, it really angers and frustrates my wife constantly. And I, what I really want is like medicine. Uh, not holistic care. Like, I want to live my life. I want to eat what I want to eat, do what I want to do, and then I want to, like, take something uh, that will solve my problems um, rather than sort of changing diet or lifestyle, sleep, work, rest, balance, those kind of things. Um, and you're, you're giggling a little bit, and lots of your wives are looking at you because I don't think I'm alone, right? Like, this is who we are as a society. In fact, um, our society loves medicine. We love drugs, Right, uh, Kimberly Johnson, uh, an official of the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, said this. I think we have the quote on the screen. Federal survey finds this from 2016. Federal survey finds 119 million Americans use prescription drugs. Nearly half of all Americans over the age of 12 take prescription pain relievers, tranquilizers, sedatives, or stimulants. Right, that's our country. We we know we have an opioid epidemic. Uh, but we have this like thriving pharmaceutical industry. Right? We have like the amount of illnesses that are is on the rise, diseases on the rise, medicine for diseases on the rise, food allergies on the rise, all these things on the rise. And man, people are, people are from like a physical and emotional, physiological, psychological. People are saying like, what's going on? <laughs> like, how did we get here? Um, and I think. As a country, what we want is to have it both ways. Like we want to, we want to do what we want to do and be who we want to be, and ignore our bodies, ignore what's going on under the surface, take a pill, get a procedure, um, rather than keeping watch over the wholeness of our bodies, the fullness of our bodies. And I think when we talk about our heart, and when we look at this text this morning. We can do this with our heart. We can do this in our relationship with the Lord. Where we're like, let me just ignore a bunch of stuff. Like, let's make this, reduce this down to this easy, medicinal, pill-formed version of spirituality and soul care. 
And I think in this text, Jesus is saying, no, I want you to keep watch over your whole heart. Like past, present, future, your whole self. Because from the heart flows all of life. This is the source of our life. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll dive in. Jesus, we thank you that we have the opportunity and the privilege to gather as your family this morning. We get to listen to and, and open up your Bible. So we, we, we get to sit before you, Father, to let you just teach us. Like, I don't teach today. This is not CJ teaching. This is you just imparting your wisdom, imparting your word to us. What a gift. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, open our ears. I pray we would not be distracted by our week, by our job, by our kids, by all those things, that we would be able to listen to you speak to us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are the great physician. You came to heal the sick. And that's us. We need you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 4. You may already be there. Um, If you're new, we're in a series uh, on wisdom from the book of Proverbs. I had a chance to listen back to a couple of Tripp and Brad's sermons this last week just to kind of get my heart aligned with what God's doing here. And I'm just really encouraged by the desire of this church family to pursue godly wisdom and to give an entire series to the wisdom of the Proverbs. Um, and, and as I was listening to Brad and Tripp, what I saw or listened and heard them both do is emphasize this idea that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. It's not a cowering fear, but a posture of humility that recognizes I'm not God. That's the beginning of wisdom, to say, there's some understanding that I lack within myself that I must look outside myself for. And that is flagrant to a humanistic culture that rejects any need for God. Right? Our friends, neighbors, that doesn't make sense to them. We look and we want to look within. And so for us as, as believers, it's an act of humility for us to come underneath Yahweh and say, I need your wisdom. When I think of wisdom, what does it mean to be wise? I think of having all things in view. Being able to take all things into consideration. Taking uh, the situation, the people involved, uh, the past, the present, the future. A very long and wide view, right? And this is why in my home, my kids are not in charge and can't make decisions, right? My daughter, August would love to just like eat popsicles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That, like if she was w- making the decisions for our family, and I'm always like, baby girl, no, like that's not what we're doing. Because uh, daddy knows this, like I'm in charge of like my experience and your experience and your mom's and your brother's, and, and I have the long view of this. And so I'm the most wise person in the family to make choices for what, you, what you're going to eat, right? Well, God, that's where God sits, He sits in the position to have the greatest vantage point. He sees all things. He has the greatest amount of infinite wisdom. But because we are in Christ, because we have the Father, what we have is an invitation to an increased understanding and perception of what He Himself knows. What He understands. And then when we don't understand what He's doing or what He's allowing in our life, then we submit to him and say, you must know something I don't. 
You must have a greater picture, a greater view than I do. So to be increasingly wise is to increasingly see things as God does from his vantage point. Let's jump into to verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. We see this, this kind of motif repeated over and over. It's in Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6. This general appeal for us to seek wisdom, get wisdom. God tells us in the book of James, come and ask me for wisdom and I'll give you an infinite amount generously. And I had the privilege of growing up in a home, a Christian home with a dad who engaged me emotionally and spiritually. And man, my dad loved the book of Proverbs. My whole childhood is filled of memories, being with my dad on camping trips and fishing trips, hunting, building things in our garage, working in the yard, sitting at the dining room table, talking about wisdom, talking about Proverbs. My dad regularly making this same appeal to me, seek the wisdom of God. Why did my dad do that? And why does this writer repeatedly make the same appeal to us? Verse 22, here's the reason. For they are life to those who find him. For who find them, and healing to all their flesh. The result of wisdom seeking is life and healing. Like that's what we get from seeking out wisdom. And I wonder if we see those two things as a desirable reward for seeking out wisdom. Is life and healing what you want? Is that what you're after? Is that, would that drive us to want, to want more wisdom? Or do we view wisdom as a commodity that we can leverage for our own gain? To get the job we want, to manage the relationship that we're in, to get to make the deal that we want, to outdo the competition? Like, isn't that sort of our bent of like, God make me wise so that I can make great decisions to benefit me? This says we are to value life and healing as the proper reward for seeking wisdom. And then he gives us this exhortation in verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And this word for heart is incredibly comprehensive. Like you just... Like Google word study on, you know, heart in the Old Testament. And you're just going to see that this, the word here is so much more broad and more vast than, than kind of how we think of the heart. We think of the heart as sort of like uh, momentary emotions or affections. But in the Bible, the heart is the seat of our emotional, spiritual, physical, intellectual, volitional life. Past, present, and future. It's really robust. The writer tells us this heart, we're to keep this heart. This is the word not sar, to, to watch, to guard, to keep. It, it even references this idea that like of something being hidden, that we're kind of guarding something that we know is valuable. It's a treasure that we may not even fully understand its worth and its value. There's parts of it that are still hidden to us, and yet we're called to guard and keep and watch over it. Our hearts need watchkeeping. We need life and healing. And the good news is that in Christ, we have both. 
We have life, new life in Christ, and healing. Are you receiving Christ as both of those? Like, is Jesus the source of all life for you? And then, is he your healer? Like, have you identified Christ as healer? Have you named him as your healer? Do you appeal to his desire to heal you? Jesus, I need healing. Thank you for healing me. Heal me more. Heal me in ways I don't know I need healing. I grew up in the church um, and relatively did suffer. Um, I just, I did life as a Christian. I read my Bible. I went to Sunday school and life was pretty good. And I didn't learn that I wasn't keeping watch over my whole heart and that I hadn't really let Jesus into parts of my heart that needed healing until tragedy struck in my life. Um, when people would struggle as, as a pastor, as a minister, um, I was the first person to kind of throw out some verse to them or, or some Christian platitude to them. Couldn't understand why people struggled so much. You know, I'd be like, you just be transformed by the renewing of your mind, brother. Like, you just need, and just like handing out, you know, like coffee mug Christianity to people. And then about, well, nine years ago, nine and a half years ago, our firstborn son, Titus, died during labor, which was tragic and traumatic and radically interrupted my entire framework for thinking about the wholeness and the health and the healing of my own heart. And the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me a pattern that was true in my own life and one that I see over and over and over inside the church. Okay, and so I'm going to show you a tool. We've got a slide up here. This is a tool we use at our church. This is like my best try at kind of making sense of some of this language. Um, the language we use at our church is healing and wholeness, moving forward by looking back. You're probably familiar with this image, right? Have you seen something like this before? This is sort of redemptive history, okay? So we, we've been created in God's image. That's true of everybody. We've all fallen, sinned against God, rebelled against Him, right? That's true of everybody. Uh, but then Jesus comes and some of us give our life to Jesus. Right? And the language that we use when we're telling people to give your life to Jesus or when we talk about giving our life to Jesus, we talk about being a new creation, being set free. Right? And we, we feel that freedom. When we come to Jesus, we feel this, this sense of newness and fullness. Right? And that's, that's good because Paul teaches us to think that way and to speak that way in Philippians 4.13. He says, forget what is behind, strain forward to what lies ahead, pressing on towards the goal. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so, in a sense... When we follow Jesus, we're made new. But the way in which we're made new is we are exonerated judicially from the punishment of our sin. That's the newness that Paul's talking about. That's the, that's the free, brand new life, clean slate that we're given. This is called penal substitutionary atonement. All right? It's one of many atonement theories. Um, don't, don't bust my balls on that. Uh, it means... It means that you... Sorry, I get to label that explicit for the podcast. Um, my bad. 
I'm from San Francisco. I get a pass. It means that you and I had wrath and punishment from a just and holy God. We had wrath coming towards us because of our active rebellion against the Father, which we call sin. And Jesus took our punishment upon himself to satisfy God's wrath and to impute his own righteousness to us. So in this sense, you and I are free and new and we can press on and we don't have to look back in shame. We owe nothing to our past and our past in no way controls us or has power to condemn us or to harm us. And man, if you don't have Jesus, you can have that today. Like you can owe nothing to your past life, your, your past sin, your past rebellion. You can be set free in Christ. That's what we want for you if you don't yet follow Jesus. But just because we're new in Christ does not mean nothing ever happened before that. But we kind of talk like it, like it does. Like we live that way a lot in the church, and I did. But here's what happens in our life, okay? We're going along, we're living our new life in Christ, but then, and we're super pumped, and we kind of like going up, and then all of a sudden we hit this plateau, right? And then our joy starts to diminish a little bit, and then our old, the old man comes knocking back at the door, our old sin nature. Remember me? Temptation struggle, then bad things start to happen to us or to people that we love and around us. And we start to, to crumble a little bit, right? And spiral and spin. And Paul experienced that too. He says, man, the relation between the spirit and the flesh. He says, the things I want to do, I, do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do, right? And so then we kind of go, oh no, what's going on? Why is this happening? All this stuff's coming up. And so... We like barricade the door shut, right? We like get into every Bible study we can get into, show up to every worship service we can, go to every event we can, and we're just trying to like get injections of Jesus, like medicating with the gospel and with Jesus, right? As much as we can, listening to Christian music, and then we start to use phrases like, man, I need to press on, and you can do all things through Christ, and we need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the latest version of it is, man, I just need to believe the gospel. Oh, you're having a hard time? You're not believing the gospel. How come you're not believing the gospel? Right? Ever, ever had someone say that to you? Ever been the one to say that to somebody else? In this room? Bet you have. Right? And what can happen is we turn Jesus and the church and the scriptures and these phrases into just another form of medicine because we're too afraid to look under the hood of our hearts, truly diagnose what's going on beneath the surface, and let Jesus do comprehensive full healing of our emotions, our physical bodies, our heart, our past, our story. Okay, so the next little part of this slide, this is kind of my, so to the right there, we're like, okay, I'm walking with Jesus now, and we kind of turn our spirituality and our walk with Jesus into sort of like a profit and loss, like up into the right graph. Is that what that's called? I don't know what it is. I'm not in business. But you're like trying to, you're trying to do better, right? Okay? And then what we've done, and see those little G's there? We've gotten good at what we call gospel fluency, right? Gospel-centeredness, where we apply the gospel. So if you're down, it's okay because Christ, you know, 
your, your, your salvation is not based in works. So we apply the gospel. That's good. Okay? And then when you're up here, don't think you did it on your own. It's only the gospel, right? And these are good things. Okay? But we kind of leave it there, and we still have this kind of forward-thinking picture. And we never look back. And we never look down. We never look deeply into our hearts. Robert Munger wrote a book called My Heart, Christ's Home. And he gives this image, this picture of our heart. He says, our heart is like a condemned house. And Jesus purchased the house and laid a new foundation, a sure foundation, of which he himself is the cornerstone. But then he wants to then grab us by the hand and he wants to go room by room by room by room, redeeming, healing, restoring, working, chatting about that with us. Okay? And not just our like spiritual self, but our physical self, our volitional self, our emotional self. And what we do though is like we reduce down the work of God into these spiritual platitudes and these forms. And we neglect aspects of our Imago Dei. Particularly like our, our physiology, our body, our emotions. Okay? And you know what that is? That's a modern form of Gnosticism. If you look at the New Testament, the greatest threat to early Christianity is Gnosticism, which is this rejection of the physical self, of all things physical, and, a, and an emphasis on, on the spiritual Okay, Ed Welch, he's an esteemed biblical psychologist and counselor. He says, we're embodied souls. Like our spirit and our body, they go together all the time. And so our spiritual growth, our ability to move forward and to continue walking with Jesus is deeply connected to our, our full self. And that's a, that's a holistic biblical anthropology. So man, if you're having a hard time, like if, if no amount of prayer... No amount of reading your Bible, no amount of being at your missional community, no amount of being at your DNA, no amount of Christian worship music. If you're hitting a ceiling, that's Jesus saying, we have work to do. There's conversations I want to have. I want you to keep your heart the way I'm keeping you. I'm keeping watch over your whole self. In fact, if you read every story of Jesus healing in the gospel, uh, his, his work to heal people involved their spiritual need, involved their physical need. It also involved their need to understand and believe truth. We're not throwing that out. They do need to understand and believe truth uh, to give them a new identity. But then a lot of times what Jesus would do is he would mention details of their story, right? I know you. I, I've known you forever. I know this part about you. And so what I think we need to do a better job in churches is actually going back. Here, you can go, go back one more. We'll get there. Okay? How did God create you? Yeah. And you need to think about, like, imagine who you would be if the fall never happened. Who, who would you be? What would you be like without the fall? Now, you're not going to get far because pretty soon you're going to get to, oh, but I'm fallen. Okay? And, and sin is absolutely the problem. Like, that's what we are dealing with. We're living inside a, a framework of sin. But I think we've truncated sin down to my sin. And yeah, I am a sinner. 
And part of why I'm broken and why I'm struggling, why I'm healing is because of my own sin. But there's two other facets of sin. Okay? The sins that other people have committed against you. And then just the results of living in a fallen world. We talk a ton about like, man, you're having a hard time. What sin do you need to repent of? What sin do you have in your life? How can we get that sin out of your life? We rarely talk about how are you sinned against in your family of origin, in your childhood, in your experiences, and then what just terrible things happened to you? What trauma happened to you? What devastating things happened in your life that have framed out and shaped who you are? I think God wants us to go back and address those things. And how does he want to do it? And this is the next slide. Think about who God is. He's a father. He says, I want to be your new dad. I want to give you an entirely new childhood. Like, think about all the things you needed from your daddy. Like, what did you want from him? Man, I just want my dad to be proud of me. I just want him to come to my games. I want him to cheer for me. I want him to encourage me. I want him to be by my side. I want him to take interest in the things that I was interested in. I want him to sacrifice his own desires, dreams, hobbies for me, for, for our family. I want him to be faithful and present, not just physically available, but emotionally available in my world, in my space. God the Father says, can I do that? I want to do all that. Me, I can do it. I can do it better, even if you had the best dad. I mean, I had, a gr- I had a great dad. Still not good enough to be God the Father for me. We have Jesus, who is the sympathetic high priest. He can relate to everything that we've experienced. We talk about how Jesus can relate to our temptation. What about Jesus relating to being sinned against? And experiencing the results of living in a fallen world. Can he track with us on those? Yeah. He can. And he wants to sympathize with us, get into the weeds of that with us, and walk with us. And then we have the Holy Spirit, who, biblically speaking, is a counselor. Like, I, I hope... I hope you've maybe been to therapy and had a good experience in therapy. I certainly have. And when I'm in therapy with a great therapist who follows Jesus, I'm going, this, this must be what the Holy Spirit's like. Asking me good questions. Affirming me. No, you're not crazy, CJ. That's a normal way to react or respond to that situation. Thanks, here's my money. That felt great. Right? <laughs> right? God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He wants to enter into our life. And here are all the arenas He wants to enter into. I reference it. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually, volitionally. That's our, right? That's our image of God. Is that how we image God? That, that's who human beings are, right? Sort of that five-fold humanity and then we're, we're past, present, future. God is keeping watch over this wholeness of our being. And listen, if we're not joining him in keeping watch over all that, here's what you need to know. Satan is also keeping watch over your whole self. He is aware of all these parts of you. 
So if you're content to ignore your emotions and your past, Satan loves that. Cool, I can use that. That's a tool in my tool belt. So I can get this guy to react in this way while he's driving and he has no idea what this is connected to and so he can never change this behavior. Or this mom over here is getting frustrated with her kids. She has no idea what's really beneath that. So I can get them to just stay stuck and isolated in the prison of their behavior. So what I want you to do is just look and as long as you find yourself on that. Where are you, what are you ignoring? I know some of you hate, you hate your emotions. It's not easy for you to talk about them. You don't want to talk about them. It feels like a total waste of time. But the Spirit of God wants to act as a counselor in your life. He wants to use other people in your life to operate as a counselor, to walk through, to re-walk through deep hurts. He wants to walk you through the rooms of your past where you're deeply wounded so that he can bring healing and restoration to those spaces. Man, at our church, like, going to counseling is just like a normal part of our church life. Like, people join the church, hey, just so you know, our church will happily pay for the first half of your first five visits to a therapist. We think it's really good. I encourage you to sign a disclosure release so that I can pastor you. I'm not trying to farm out your care. I want this to be within the family of God, but just so you know, this is like normal. I go to counseling. I have a spiritual director. I'm working through past wounds still. Some of us have physical, physiological problems like clinical depression and anxiety disorders or bipolar borderline narcissism. These are like real things going on for sure in our world, right? But we, and we're happy to like talk about how freaking crazy our president is and what a narcissist he is and like that guy is totally insane, but we are not willing to say, well, what about like in our own like family? Do we have people hurting? Do we have people that need help? What do we need? What steps do we need to take? It's a really great book uh, by a guy named Bessel van der Kolk, which is just an awesome name, which that was my name. And he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And this, his work uh, since the 70s has been with war veterans who have PTSD, which no one, man, this is new. Like people did not know what to do. With, they didn't even know what PTSD was. They couldn't explain what was going on. Um, and in this book, he talks about how trauma remaps our brains and how sometimes people get to a place where like, they can't change, they can't grow, they can't, know, they can't just believe the gospel. They need like, help, real help. And so that doesn't mean that like, that's disconnected from Christ's healing. 
right? Like if, if Jesus uses like medication and doctors to help heal somebody, that's Jesus healing them. So we don't just say, oh, that's science and that's over here. We believe the Holy Spirit is miraculously doing that work. And maybe we don't have PTSD in here from fighting in a war, but we definitely have trauma. Some of us have trauma that needs to be healed. Some of us are spiritually in need of a deep dive of our spirituality where we're walking in shame constantly. And you can't, you can't experience the joy and the freedom. I know this is true of me a lot. Where I, just, I live inside a, a, a shame narrative all the time. Where I'm not good enough. I can't believe that I have Christ's approval. And I'm just like needing Christ to heal that in me. Right? And this is, the, this is the kind of stuff that we do in our MCs, in our DNAs. And we, so we are using spiritual language. I'm not saying throw out, you need to believe the gospel and gospel centrality and fruit to root and all those things. Yes, do all those things. Same thing with, our, with intellectually. Jesus wants to exchange lies that we believe for the truth. Right? Lies like, I'm worthless. It's like, are you saying things to yourself, I'm worthless I don't matter. That's untrue. You need brothers and sisters to say, that's not true. You have great value in the kingdom. Maybe you're struggling volitionally, which has to do with your will and your your desires and your decisions. Maybe you're saying, I'm not going to obey or be obedient until I want to, until it's genuine. I don't want to live a lie. Okay, you need to work that out. And you need, to, you need to be able to come with submission to the Father and say, what does it look like for you to faithfully walk in obedience even when you don't feel like it? Right? I think that's something really fresh in our culture. I see a lot in our church where people are like, well, I don't want to be inauthentic, you know, so I'm not going to genuinely obey Christ. I'm like, well, <laughs> you need to obey Jesus and he will transform. Sometimes he transforms our volition, our will through our obedience. By the same token, some of us are like stuck in our emotions and we need to move past that. We're like stuck in our past, okay? And we need to move out of our past into the present and the future. But some of us are just like, man, head down, going a million miles an hour towards the future. Don't make me be present now and don't make me look back. Or some of us are just living for the moment. Which are you? Which Which of these is the Spirit inviting you to pay attention to? And probably the one that sounds like hell to you is the one that's like, hey, come with me. Let's go in this room and do this work together. A friend of mine, uh, Abe Meisenberg, he's pastor, uh, Soma, Tacoma. He did a sermon series I highly recommend called The Wounded Healer. Uh, I listened to about a year ago. And he gives his own story about how he had received Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but not as healer. Um, and he, he kind of tells this story about being four years old and his little brother being born. And when his brother was a baby and he was four, he would go in his room and lay on his bed and cry like a baby, like making baby noises. And this was just like a, 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 a memory that he had that he couldn't quite understand. Um, and he, he felt really ashamed about it. He felt ashamed when he was four, all right? And then he felt ashamed at, just in the memory of it. And as the Lord has been working in Abe's life to bring healing, 
he was invited back to that room and in, in, into that scene to ask the question, why was I doing that? And he was able to articulate, I was trying to, as a four-year-old, articulate the questions, am I loved, do I matter, and does anyone see me? Because he, he felt this enormous loss of the intention and focus of his mom and dad. And so as an adult, just as recently as like a year or two ago, Abe is talking about being with the Father in the morning, in his time in the Word, asking the Spirit to continue to heal him, and having a framework for like being invited back into rooms from his past to receive healing. And he, he, he sensed the Spirit asking him to go into one of the empty rooms in his house and to get on the bed and get in the same fetal position that he was in when he was four. And so he did that and he felt the spirit saying to him, like, I see you, I love you, I'm here with you. You you never need to experience that emotion again. I validate that experience, but just so you know, Abe, I was there. Like your parents, yeah, were tending to your little brother, but I was there with you, bud. I was there the entire time affirming these things to you. And man, there will never be a day in the future where you will ever have to experience that again because your loving Father is with you always. And man, we all have some version of that story. That God is like, man, He wants us all to have one of these stories to tell. So what I want to do is invite you to bow your heads. As we close here, sorry if you didn't know you were coming to a counseling session today. I, that's what I do. I do that, um, and I know you don't trust me because you don't know me. So thank you for either pretending to trust me or trusting Brad and Trip. But I want you to think about your own life, and I just want you to invite the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit's in this room. Right now, we got to hear all about the Spirit's work earlier. What room is the Spirit want to invite you into? In what room are you like, nope, I don't want to go in there? And you're frustrated at God. God, why is that room even in my story? Why did you even let that happen to me? Where were you? And you know what? You can cry that out to him, and he is okay with that. He's like, yep, that makes sense. You can be frustrated. Maybe some really difficult things have happened to you. Maybe you've done some really, some terrible things that you feel deeply ashamed of. Jesus says, I want to set you free. I want to offer you forgiveness and grace, removing all your shame. And would you this morning just begin to give permission to the Lord, say, okay, I'm tired of hitting the same ceiling in my life. I'm tired of repeating behaviors. I'm willing to let you keep watch over the fullness of my heart, the fullness of my story. I'm I'm willing to let you in to do a healing work.
Father, I thank you that you're present with us and that you are powerful enough to reveal for each of us where we need to let you do work. So I pray for my brothers and sisters that uh, this would be monumental in their lives, that they would be able to walk away pursuing healing, paying attention to parts of their body and their soul, their emotions, their spirituality that maybe they've been ignoring. And I pray that you would release them from Satan's grasp and foothold in their lives, bring freedom and healing. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and kindness. We worship you. We thank you that we can come to your table now. Receive your body broken for us and your blood shed for us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. DJ, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, Yeah, just to be totally honest, I manipulated the schedule so that CJ could share something like that with us today because it's something that him and his fellow citizens at Citizens Church in San Francisco have just been so obedient to, to God and surrendering uh, their, their past lives and their emotions, their full selves, and totally um, yeah, pursuing Jesus to be a healer, not just doctrine. And it's just like, and not just a, a tool for mission. And it's just so wonderful to have you like share your life with us this morning. And I want to invite us to the table. Um, and this is from Luke chapter 22. He says, And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, we thank you for the meal that you offer to us, where you say, I've earnestly desired to recline here at this table with you. That you are present with us in our suffering, and you say, I've, I've desired to feast with you uh, before I even suffer. Um, and that your suffering, that your death, that your resurrection is for the flourishing of our own souls. So as we come today, we come with tons of thanksgiving uh, for, for what you have accomplished and what, what you are accomplishing in your spirit. We pray that um, we would surrender to you, Father, as the good dad that, um, that we could not have received in this earth. Um, that we would receive you as the sympathetic priest that knows what it's like to be sinned against. And that we would come to you as counselor spirit, that you would, yeah, be the one that we look at, that we look to and that we even hear uh, asking us the questions that we really need to be asked. Thank you, God. Thank you for this meal. Amen. <clears throat>